Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Kelty Knight. She is an Emmy Award-winning television personality and Entertainment Tonight host. She has co-anchored CBS's broadcasting of national events like the Thanksgiving Day Parade and the Grammy Awards, Red Carpet. She started a crazy successful podcast called The Lady Game that then became a show and now a book, Act Like a Lady, Questionable Advice, Ridiculous Opinion, and Humiliating Tales from Three Undignified Women. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I love, I love, you know, I love what you're doing. You're out there. You're just like, Hey, we're just going to tell it like it is. And there's a lot of TMI, you know, on stuff that you do. And before we get into the creation of the podcast and then just where it, you know, off spawned into so much awesomeness, let's talk first. You know, people are always like, how'd you get on TV? How'd you get into the industry? You know, what was it that brought you to Hollywood to pursue those dreams? So I had left home when I was 18 to be a professional dancer in New York. I'd grown up, you know, taking ballet classes like everybody does in their little towns. Um, and so I moved to New York. I spent a decade doing that. And in my late twenties, um, my body was broken and, um, I'd had, you know, kind of all the success that you can sort of have doing that. Um, and I was looking for, a new position and blogging and YouTube had just started. And so uh, my best friend was living out in LA. I was like, let me just take six weeks off. I'm going to go out to LA and see what it's all about. And I went out, I fell in love with Los Angeles. Um, I started working um, on some digital stuff just in my free time. I had done like some digital shows about my life, kind of dancing and that kind of thing. Um, And I ended up auditioning, um, to host a music show. I'd never hosted anything in my life, um, and got the job on the spot. And then (laughs) that sort of, I was like, Oh, this is so much, wait, what? I go one audition and get a job. Like that's much easier than being a dancer. I've been a 500 auditions. Um, and so I got that job and then that, you know, grew into the next thing. And then CBS had found me and that woman in development was like, do you want to come, you know, work for us? And I was like, sure. And, uh, so it was crazy. I, I, pushed my way through so many doors and tried so hard to be this dancer woman, superwoman. Um, and it happened, but it happened with so much effort. And I have to be honest, the TV effort going into the career only came after I got the gigs. Like once I got the gigs when I was up at three 30 in the morning, like working 16 hour days, but the audition process for it was not as difficult as, um, as I would have expected, you know, but maybe pe- that's just for me. <laughs> well, you know, people think as I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned the workday. People sometimes see people on TV and they think that this is like you show up for a couple hours. These are brutal days. Oh yeah. My first TV, like full contract, my call time was four 15 in the morning. So I'd get up at three 30, leave my house three 45 and then drive to work. Um, we Which had- leaves no time for any kind of morning, anything. Oh, you have no, there's no life. You have no life because you're home. And then I would work all day and then I'd go out and cover the red carpets of Hollywood. So seven till 9 PM at night. So I'd get home exhausted and all you could do was like feed yourself and go to sleep. I had no life, um, no social life, no friends, no family, no, like nothing. There was just that focus. And so many 
um, reporters and people you see on TV, they go through that, that same grind. They'll go to Dayton, Ohio to be a, a news person, but you don't get on the today show right out. You have to go to do the small markets first. And those are shifts are brutal. And so there was many, many years of just, it was so exhausting. Well, you, I'm sure you have like a million Hollywood stories. I always love, we've all had one of these, which is like something ridiculous. You've heard someone in casting say, or something towards you as a performer. Um, or it's just some like really interesting, like Hollywood run-ins, whether like I completely embarrassed myself in front of, um, (laughs) uh, gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Jeffrey Tambor. Um, who I think he's a great actor, but I like basically went up to him and said hi to him in the Pacific Palisades and like, you know, had an embarrassing thing where like I, I dumped out my entire wallet of change, like all over the floor right in front of his feet, you know, things like that. I'd love to hear like a couple of your kind of favorites, either highlights of someone who you loved, who was just wonderful to meet, you know, and just a, a few of those before we get into the podcast and the book. Um, well, I think that in general, just everyone's shorter in person. So that's yes. always like wildly shocking. Cause you're like, wait, what? Huh? You're my height? Huh? Dreamboat man. Um, so that's always very surprising. But for me, most of the people that I've met and been in contact with are just so lovely, but my real, uh, person that I freak out over always is Paula Abdul, which is so... <laughs> Like I've, yes, I get Oprah, it. Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Aniston. It's like, of course, yes, I've, I've met and interviewed all of them. But like Paul Abdul to me is like a symbol of my childhood. Like I had the record. I listened to it on repeat. Like I straight up now forever your girl. Like I, Paula, I love. And so every time I see her, I like cry. Like I can't keep it together. And I remember I was interviewing her about, uh, she was doing, uh, she'd just come back. She was doing her first tour and she was on tour with the new kids on the block, I think for, and she played in the Hollywood bowl. And I got to interview her. And on the way out, the publicist in front of her was like, oh, we'd love to give you tickets to blah. I was like, I'm a real fan. I bought my tickets eight months ago when they went on sale. (laughs) And so I was like, don't you let any of these other reporters think that they know you. I know you. And then I was like, and I looked in her eyes and I was like, oh my God, I've scared you. <laughs> like it was too much. <laughs> too like, much. Yeah. You went on I a little too strong on that one. It's too, too strong, too strong. Um, so that was like pretty embarrassing, but I've had everything. I've had my hair fall out. I've dropped the mic. I've called people the wrong names. I mean, you can't do a job every day and be perfect at it a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. What, in all of the hosting and all that you're doing, then what happens where you're like, you know what, I'm going to start a podcast with a couple of chicks. Well, what it, what had been happening to me, um, and I'd been in it like six or seven years at the time was that, um, you know, because I sort of fell into the job, um, I didn't go to school for broadcasting. I didn't have like a really a hard news background, um, where I had done my job in Dayton, Ohio and done the murders and the earthquakes of the world. So I kind of been more of a pop culture person. And, uh, over time I felt like I was getting passed over for promotions and was like, okay, that's cool. Like I might never be the next whoever, but, um, I'm going to keep doing this cause I love it. Um, but I really realized that I wanted something that was my own, that I couldn't get fired from, that I could pick myself. Um, I put myself first where I could really, um, I wasn't, uh, necessarily, uh, relying on the court of public opinion, you know, where it was like, Oh, these people, these bosses like you, these don't these, you know, I was like, let me just do something that's mine. And I know that I can always count on myself to work hard. So if, if I do it for myself, then I'll be unstoppable. And I had known Becca Tobin, my co-creator, um, 
when we were both in, uh, in New York, she was on Broadway. I was trying to be on Broadway, never got there. And, um, and then Jack and I, my other co-creator and host, uh, we have a mutual ex-boyfriend. So we knew each other in LA, we got together and like the rest is, has been history. It was such a crazy kismet thing. We're sitting, having lunch being like, we should just like do something ourselves. Like maybe, uh, at the time serial, the first like big podcast that really put podcasts on the map was on, but there weren't pop culture podcasts and there were no female podcasts. There was like, you know, Howard Stern and Serial and like some crime and some news, but there really weren't like these lifestyle like girly podcasts. And we're like, let's make a girly podcast. And so we did, it was almost five and a half years ago. And it's crazy that how many hours I've spent looking at these girls and talking. <laughs> you guys, you guys have, there's really, there's no topic I've, I mean, right. there's no topic you guys don't cover. You get in the weeds on a lot of shit. And the reason I, I appreciate that is, you know, you are confident as fuck in the vulnerability and the open of like, you know what, I just kind of don't care. You really do talk about things that most people would be horrified to, but we're all thinking we're all having these conversations. And that's why I'm really intrigued by what you do. You talk about body image breakups, you know, adult friendships. Let's talk a little bit about some of these things. I mean, now you have the book, right? Which is great. So act like a lady has just come out. um, And it's, it's, this is going to be great because you've put all of these years and some of the highlights and all that you've learned. I'm sure you've learned so much. Let's talk about a few of these tenants. Like I love the idea of just like how to tell your friend that she's being a selfish asshole. Let's just start with like something like that. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, yes, nothing's TMI and, um, the book we split up into four parts. So it's relationship with yourself, your relationship with your career, relationship with your lover and relationship with friends, because friends is actually one of those topics that we all deal with, um, female friendships, and they can be as dramatic as relationships. Um, but we don't really talk about it in like the public psyche. Um, Uh, as much. And we get so many questions from the lady gang fans that are like, Hey, I have this situation with my sister, aunt, friend, um, bridesmaid, blah, blah, blah. And so we've all had a toxic friendship that has either started as a wonderful friendship and went toxic over years or, you know, there's, and so how do you break up with a friend? Like, it's not like you can be like, we're breaking up. Please don't call me anymore. Like a boyfriend, you know? So, um, we talk a lot about that and we talk a lot about, um, how to be a good friend and how to apologize. Because I think that's one of the things that we don't know how to do is say sorry and not sorry, I hurt your feelings, but like, I'm actually sorry, no matter what your intention was. Um, and we tell ridiculous stories about all of these different things. Jack, um, wrote a beautiful essay about, um, a a friend she had that, you know, she had sort of wronged and then ended up passing away and she, the, the unfinished business she had and the guilt she had with that. Um, Becca talks about her sister and that friendship. Uh, I talk about, I have had the best, a best guy friend since I was like five years old and we journaled back and forth to each other for the last 20 years. And so we're talking about like what it's like to have, you know, a friend witness your life that you can always go back, no matter what your relationship is, you can go back to this friend and be like, well, you know how I am. And they're like, we know how you are. Um, and I wrote a great essay that is actually one of my favorite in the book, uh, about, it's called uh, sorry for what I said when I hated your husband. (laughs) Okay. Get into that. 
It's a, it's, it's about my best friend who married a guy that we knew when we were younger. She was always obsessed with him. I don't think he ever really loved her and they got married. I was the maid of honor. I had to like stand up there and be like, I'm so happy for you. I was like trying to like convince him to love her on their wedding day. And then this whole rigmarole ran on and I had to like love her through their split. And instead of, I learned instead of just being like, that guy's a dick. Um, that I could like teach her to love herself and kind of what that was like and what to do when, you know, one of the things we talk about in lady gang so much is like, no one cares about your wedding the way you do. Like girls love their own weddings, but like, I don't care about your wedding. I mean, I'm happy for you, but like, I'm not noticing the ribbons matching the ribbon on the candle that smells like the pop poopery that's in the toilet that's in the, you know, food. Like, I don't really, I don't care that much. And so uh, we talk a lot about like, yo, like we're happy for you. We're coming to your wedding, but like, don't think that I want to spend all of my bonus coming to your bridal shower in <laughs> Mexico. Cause I don't, if I'm going to go on vacation, I'm going to go by myself. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've, uh, declined several wedding invitations for such variables. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able to go to Istanbul for you. I love you, but like, I'm not going to dance with your uncle in Istanbul. Like if I'm going to buy that cross transatlantic plane ticket, it's going to be Paris for myself. Bye. Exactly. Love you. Still love you, sister. Still love you. Um, you know, let's talk about navigating a career. You're obviously an alpha female. You're a badass. You're out. You have to put yourself out there. But there must have been times uh, throughout this journey. You know what? I always love to hear about some of the negative naysayers or people that were like, yeah, good luck with that. Or, you know, even if they didn't say it, they were thinking it. The, 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 the little speed bumps that you come across when people are projecting a lack of confidence on a thing to you. You know what I'm saying? As you're trying to pursue something that a lot of people, you know, are just like, I don't know, that's tough, especially anything in a creative profession, regardless, dancing, music, you know, uh, hosting, etc. So I'd love to hear about some of these, this, these triumphs along the way, because clearly, you know, you've had to self promote, and you're taking some risks, you know, and obviously, the risk you took on yourself with this podcast has paid off immensely for what it's done for you. So I'd love to hear about some of those, uh, some of those travels. Yeah, so I always sort of think of myself um, as like living in like my own little tent fort. And all I can do is like control what's in that space. And, um, I think the steps are like being sort of fearless on what you put out there. Uh, if you put a hundred things out there, like 99% of them will flop. And then one of them, like my podcast might stick. Um, so I've learned over time, like you're saying to just not really to pivot a lot and not really worry about the, the rejection as much, but there have been a couple of things that really stung. I remember early in my hosting career, I was, I was really young, like sort of cub reporter, um, I'd gotten to be like on the stage, which is always an honor when you get to throw to your own story. Um, and one of the hosts that was with me at the time who I really thought was the like most gorgeous, most talented have actually like followed a lot of her cadence, which the way with the way she spoke has become my cadence. Like I loved it so much. I sort of copied it. Um, and I remember at the beginning, sort of my career live on TV, her turning to me and being like, Oh, well you would know a lot about that because you, you were like a dancer stripper, right? Ooh. Oh shit. <laughs> and it was clearly like, she was looking at me the way I sometimes look at a 25 year old girl now being like, Oh, you're the next one in line. And like, I'm on my way out. Cause I'm 40, you know? And, um, it is a weird, <laughs> it's, it's a weird feeling for sure to be on the other side of it. And I can imagine how, um, like sort of aggressive I was, um, to be that person, 
on the younger side of it. Um, but I remember that and I remember thinking like, Oh, no one's ever going to take me seriously because you're right. I was like the girl behind Beyonce in a booty short and a bra, like gyrating. Like I did that, you know, and there's video of it. And so how will I ever be able to tell people the news? How will viewers ever trust me? How will they ever think that I'm classy when I was in so-and-so's music video doing so-and-so thing, even though you would never look at Beyonce and be like, she's not classy. Like that woman is a powerhouse. Like, but I felt like because I had come up in this dance world that there was this lack of sort of respect. And I really, really had to work really hard on overcoming that. I had a guy that I worked with be like, you know, people would take you seriously if you didn't wear patterns. Oh, shit. I was like, I was like, really? Like the patterns, the patterns is what's going to screw me. Can't wear a floral. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that, like, I think that if I wear a cute hair accessory or something fashionable, like the kind of women that I want to be my fans will be my fans. Cause they'll see themselves in me. Like I'm never going to be the girl that wears like the purple knee length newscaster dress. Like that's not who I am. And it served me. But at the beginning when I wasn't like everyone else, it really scared me. I was like, Oh, I should definitely be wearing that purple dress like, with the knee, to the knee. Yeah, it's amazing the things that will come out of people's mouths in this industry. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard them all. You've heard them all. I had one time in a room full of people, a casting director said to me, so I'm a natural blonde, like natural Scandinavian looking type of coloring. And uh, she goes, you know, you should really think about like toning your hair down. <laughs> And I was right. like, all right, well, you're gonna have to talk to the man upstairs or the fucking aliens or whatever you believe in, because this right. is not, you know, and I was like, really, of all the things, but it was just funny. Um, I just assumed everyone's a dyed blonde in the town or I don't know, but like, right. really, like that kind of shit comes at you in a room and you're auditioning and there's directors, right? I mean, you know, it's just like you have, you're constantly, you know, you got to be prepared because you, you might face these kind of weird moments in this town. Um, I, I, I mentioned this before where, uh, back in the day I used to intern for some casting directors and she had an agent on call and the agent was pitching a client. She said, yeah, look, that's great. Your, your client's at an eight and eat her at a two. And you're just like, oh, oh God. shit. Thank God it's a little bit better now. That was like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, right? So it's w actually longer than that. So it's it's way better now. We see more different body images and things like that reflected on TV and film, which I do appreciate the the growth there, you know, uh -huh. in the past 20 years. But let's talk about that too. Let's talk about like body image. I mean, my God, you're on camera every day. <laughs> what yeah. the hell? It's so funny. I remember um, a few years ago, I got like a tweet um, and I've, I'm learning still to not take them to heart, but someone was like, Oh my God, it's amazing. They let someone with such a horse face be on TV or something. And I remember saying something to my mom, like, Oh my, I guess I have a big forehead. I, I never really realized it before. And she goes, Oh yes, we didn't tell you. We didn't want you to be self-conscious. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, mom. So I've lived most of my life in this like blissfully unaware of anything. Um, cause I had parents that were like, you're the best and the prettiest. You can do anything. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's who I am. And then I got to Hollywood or on TV. And I was like, wait, what? Huh? I'm not the best in the pretty. Wait, no, this is, you're, you're incorrect. I am the best in the prettiest. I'm like, no. So that's been like, it's, it's crazy. But, um, I think what's the hardest thing is that, you know, when they're like, Oh, the camera adds 10 pounds, like that cab, the camera adds 10 pounds and like a hundred thousand haters. 
So it's like people that don't even know you are like, I hate your energy. I hate how happy you are. I hate that you like dogs. I hate your hair color. I hate that dress. You shouldn't have worn that. Your knees disgust me. Like just such unsolicited comments on what you look like every day of the week. Um, it's, it's bizarro. How it's do, so how, do you, how do you get used to that? Or how'd you get to the point where you weren't attached to that and didn't care and it didn't take it to heart? Uh, because you know, obviously you're, you're going to get bombarded yeah. regardless. You're just in the public sphere. You're going to get it. So how did you get to that point or what was the self-talk you have to do when you see something like that? I think over time, the more true I have been with my own choices, I've been able to back them up. So for instance, like there were often times where I would feel insecure. And so I'd get myself talked into, a haircut or a dress or, um, you know, doing the line over to make it sound more like something. And, um, what I realized is that then when people come for you and they're like, yeah, that dress is really ugly. What I would myself, um, I would think, yeah, it was ugly. Why did I wear that? I hate that dress. Um, so what I've done is I've become a little more picky about, the person that I present out to the world because I want when people come for me or if they feel like I've said something, um, often on the show, I'll be like, Oh, the movie was great. Or I love this person or I don't love this person. And the movie was not great. Um, I really have to be able to back up whatever I'm saying, wearing, doing, looking like whatever that is. If I want to have a spray tan that looks like I just got back from three weeks in Hawaii and be that color of orange on TV, I have to be able to stand <laughs> behind that spray tan. You know, I got to really believe in it. Um, mm, because better. <laughs> then people can't really shake you, you know? Um, but if I allowed someone, a writer or a director or someone to put words in my mouth, even about what I thought about something like, Oh yeah, I love that. And then I didn't really love it. And people come for me, then I've got myself in a pickle of being, not authentic. I was just going to bring that up. Obviously, the more authentic, the more confident, the more self-love and self-worth that is for, yeah. for any human being. But, you know, authenticity, this is what I found. So in my years in Hollywood, and I get it, there's certain things you're working for certain people, you're not going to get on entertainment tonight and start spewing a bunch of like, political rants or whatever it may be like you, you have to watch like obviously you're being paid by a network but at the end of the day i found that in a town of yes people in a town of people where you're not gonna necessarily like in new york they'll flip off the guy in the parking lot if they cut you off or whatever but not in this town because they could hire you next week right people right. are like always you know and what i've noticed though is that when i've given my honest opinion and it was so dumb. I remember even just being like at a casting office once and there was people talking with the casting director and they were talking about a movie and every, every the casting director said they liked it. So everyone was like, oh my God, I loved it. I loved, and they were just, it was just so gross. Yeah. It was so obvious. And and I had seen the movie too. And I was like, actually, I don't know. And then, you know, I just gave my honest opinion. I wasn't trying to be a contrarian. And you know what? The thing is that I found is that people actually respect that more. Yeah. Especially in this town, which you'd think be the opposite. But in many circumstances, I believe that it, because it's almost rare or because people are afraid of being authentic when you are, I mean, first of all, it's admired regardless worldwide, no matter what industry you're in. But I found that particularly here is like actually not to be afraid of at all. In fact, I think you'll go to greater heights because you're authentic and you're the no BS person. Yeah. Like people sometimes will be like, really? It's not like Rihanna or Beyonce that you love. It's Paula Abdul. And I'm like, it's Paula. That's who I am. I love her. You know, and it's just like, it's got to be what you, who you are. You have to be able to stand behind, you know, what you think. I totally agree with you. And that movie probably did suck. 
It, yeah, it, it, it did. Um, <laughs> uh, you never know. I used to be like a reader for scripts, and one time I read a script, I was like, this is going to be the worst fucking thing. I, this is a disaster. I would never make this film. And then, like, it, the guy in it won an Academy Award for the film. It was, like, nominated. Oh and I God. was like, what? Yeah. But I'm going to still stand that, by it, because if I told you what the movie was, you'd be like, nope, you're right. That was a bullshit movie. It was just a yeah. good actor in a, <laughs> in a shitty movie. Um, I did the same thing. I hated the voice. I remember... Uh, I saw a pre like version of the voice before it launched here in the States with Christina Aguilera on it. And I watched it and I was like, those chairs are the dumbest thing. I've, th- what are we at? <laughs> are we on cartoons? Like what a dumb show. I was like, this will never take the place of American Idol. Ooh, I was wrong. Let's talk about, I still, I still okay. think the chair is dumb, but you know, I was wrong. But you're, but you're a little bit more warming up to the idea. Yeah. Of the, show. Yeah. <laughs> the concept's okay. The chairs are bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the swivel. It's just, it's too much drama for a chair, for sure. Uh, too much. They're doing too much there. So there's a million different ways to act like a lady. Yes. <laughs> uh, and let's get into some of these other aspects of the book. And well, what's, what, what are you trying to do with this? Why, why, why should I buy this book? <laughs> well, our, um, our mission with Lady Gang has always been to just make women feel less alone. Um, there's a whole lot of things that we feel embarrassed or maybe can't talk about um, that become really isolating, whether it's like bodily functions or um, stuff in relationships that we live in this perfectly sort of curated world where everyone's supposed to have like a pretty Easter dinner and a beautiful husband and your family pictures and the real life is not cute that way. And so we feel like with us opening up, um, our seemingly perfect lives to be imperfect, then people feel a little more normal. And so the book is really an extension of that. It's, it's our most inner innermost essays and things that maybe we were too scared to even put on the podcast. I would say like we open up in some really beautiful ways. Um, but then there's a lot of sass and a lot of advice and there's some, uh, manifest, I'm a big manifester. So I put some like worksheets in the book that you can work through. Um, and there's, you know, some illustrations and, you know, some quotes and it's just sort of a, a read that I think that, you know, people across the world are going to read it and they're going to be like, Oh, I feel better about my blank, yep. you know? my bad friendship, my bad divorce, my bad relationship, my bad haircut, my bad Botox, my bad, whatever it <laughs> my is. My droopy ass eye from this shitty yeah. Botox. <laughs> right. Like whatever it is, um, you're just going to feel like a little more normal and it seems so small and stupid, but it's been revolutionary for us. Um, the amount of people that have written us and been like, you know, you make me feel better about this. It's, I mean, and Absolutely. we're you're like every you are the lady gang. You're like everyone's girlfriends. Let's get into what's a either whether it's a story from one of your co-authors or uh, you. What what's a give us an example? Because I know you need to talk about breakups, navigating friendships, all this kind of stuff. Let's what's a like a horrific breakup scenario or some sort of loss of some kind that you've had or know of in your life where the 180 was pretty amazing. Um, one of the the essays that I put in the book that I personally wrote is, um, I was married when I was 20 years old and I, um, was divorced 11 months later. And it was this very like people pleasing moment of my life where 
Um, I came from the small town where everyone married their high school sweethearts. So I thought, oh, this is like what I'm supposed to do. And then got like really wrapped up in what everyone would think of me. And my gut was like, do not do this. Do not do this. Abort, abort, abort mission. And I was like, nope. Gotta, gotta have the flowers, the daisies to match the daisies on the, gotta have, you know, it's like, oh my God. And, um, walking away from that, knowing that I will, would have embarrassed my family and embarrassed myself and would have to go into every other relationship ever being like, I'm a divorcee and how to like wrap my head around that at 21. And, um, all of that and like forgiving myself. And then the lesson of realizing that, you know, because you maybe promise to love someone forever when you're 20 or 21 and you can decide that you don't like, it's like, it's okay to not have been right about that. And you can go on and promise someone again. I've now been with my husband for 10 years, um, and mean it, you know, and, and we just have to sort of forgive ourselves. So for me, that was, I've never talked about it before. Um, no one, not even on our 300 plus episodes of lady gang, have I talked about it. So it was something that I thought, it just needed to be in the book. Um, and, and sort of about, you know, everyone has had a relationship that has ended and they're not sure what to do and feel weird. But for me, um, there's a certain thing that comes with the failure of having to admit to everyone that the thing that you were so into that you thought was so right, whether it be a friend relationship, job, move across the country, house that you're going to buy, car you're going to buy, boob job, whatever it is, like when you're wrong about that, sucking up your own life and your own, you know, sort of sloth and being like, yep, I was an idiot. Like that is so hard to do sometimes. So, um, I love that story, but my other favorite dating story in the book, I think it's the first essay that's in the book is when Jack, my coworker, um, she was dating what she thought off a dating app was an actor. And he would be like, I gotta go to my, um, I gotta go to my, my indie movie every night. And she'd be like, Oh cool. Yeah. Like what's it called? And she was looking at if she can find it anywhere. And like over time she realized he's like, Oh yeah. I like have to get my wardrobe and all this stuff. And we're like, Oh wow. He's like a movie star. Cool. It's the movie. Blah. He was a costume character on um, Hollywood Boulevard. He, he was like, uh, he, was he a dressed Spider-Man. up as like Spider-Man. Okay. He was nice. a Spider-Man. He was Spider-Man. And, and then she was like, but it's, she's like, no, no. And then I found that out and I was like, it's okay. I can still date him. I really like him. Cause he's also the voice of Acura. And she's like, and I think those voiceover guys like make some money. So it's like, you know, um, I, I, I think like, yeah, you know, voice of actor is good. And then they broke up or, and then like months later she saw him at like the century city mall handing out pamphlets in the mall. Like he was like the paid like pamphlet hander outer for Acura. So I don't know if you're like the voice of Acura, like also maybe a pathological liar, but right. I appreciate his stretching of the truth. Though. You know what I mean? That's what like, I'm a spokesperson that's what you like, that's need in Hollywood, that gumption. Wow. But, but damn. Um, so yeah, there's lots of really good stories. <laughs> uh, damn. All right. What about something universally uncomfortable? Like, as you mentioned, Hey, we talk about things that are real, right? And it doesn't have to be funny or gross or whatever, but just what is something that's come up over the years where you're like, wow, we got a big response on this one where people were like, hey, I'm really glad you talked about that uncomfortable thing people don't talk about. 
I think on the podcast in general, it's been when we've accidentally left things in our bodies longer than they should be there. Um, <laughs> some of those things have been in your bum and some of those things have been in your fronts. Um, but in general, there's a lot more women forgetting they have a tampon in than you would really think. Like I shared a story of when I went to Mexico with my husband and I got really wasted. I was drinking tequila and didn't really realize what was happening down there. And, um, and then three days later I was like, Oh, I think something's rotten. And it was a tampon, um, which PS I'm glad I didn't die. Cause also you can die from that. But when I shared this story, I was like, no, this would only happen to me. Ugh, I'm such a scatterbrain. And then the amount of letters and tweets and DMs we got, like everyone's like, oh, I went six days and then I had to go to the hospital and they had to remove it with a tongue. Like, I mean, the oh, amount shit. of stories were like, just girls are gross. Like we, we are in I a think way we're grosser so than guys. I, I think, think a, a lot of times we're grosser. Like, I feel like if some of my guy friends could hear some no, of the gosh. conversations we have, they would be jumping off bridges like immediately. Like they would not know what to do. Because with women, there's so many things that can go wrong there's so many parts of us that are moving and flowing and like, you know what I mean? With guys, there's like not that many portals to like get it wrong in a gross way. And like women, like, Oh my God, the amount of things that we just have go wrong is just, it's shocking. And so, we're so much more open with each other too. It's just, it's just we history. We used right? to be, we used to deliver each other's babies. Come on back in the day. Like, right. we're, you know, we're cool naked in a, you know, open shower at a pool. Right. What's like which yeah. is totally different. So different. I, I think that that lends itself to like super deep, detail levels, you know, like, especially when it comes to sex and things like that, like guys might give a few things, but we'll yeah. get in there. We'll, we go there. We'll list the whole, that'll be a novel. And they wouldn't even, yeah, they wouldn't even know. What about, so you're talking about manifesting, obviously you're a super manifester. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of dreams and goals have come true, but also like you mentioned in the beginning, going back to, you had like zero resistance about sort of the hosting thing, right? Because mm -hmm. you had been in that dancer kind of mode. Yeah. And I, you know, it's always something like they're like, I didn't, you're like, oh, it wasn't hard. I came to Hollywood and I got a job. Like, and it's because you didn't care so much about it. Right. right? And so that's what's interesting because that's sort of a component of law of attraction and manifesting, but we'd love to hear some of the highlights. Um, and sometimes they're small ones because some of my favorite manifesting stories are like the tiny ones that aren't like big things, but they reinstill that faith that you have the power to create and intend. And so I'd love to hear some of your faves. Yeah. For me, I read this tweet. I think it was about the time I started working in TV. Mindy Kaling had written it and it was like, why the F not me should be your motto. And I like printed that out, put it on my mirror. I think it's the greatest motto of all time. Like someone is going to get the gig. Someone's going to be that person chatting at you on TV. Like, why not me? I'm, I'm a fine person. Like I can do it. Um, so I've always sort of lived by that rule of like, well, it's going to be someone's gig. So you should step out of your own way and not think, Oh, well, what if they don't know? Like, well, it's, someone's going to get it. And it's probably going to be the person that has the most confidence, um, about it. So I, I really do live by that. Manifesting is crazy. Um, the story. So I, I said, I moved to LA and was living up the street from my best friend, Christina. And she was a struggling musician who was a waitress and writing music. And I was sort of figuring out what I was going to do. And I remember it being like New Year's Eve, um, whatever year it must've been 2009. And, um, and we looked, we were looking out our apartment over the Capitol records building here in Hollywood. And I was, she's like, we need to tell the universe what we want. And I was like, yes, let's write letters to the universe. So we did 
on that year. And mine was like, stop dating assholes, stop drinking Diet Coke, grow out your bangs. Like I was so stupid about the whole thing. (laughs) And Christina was like, get a record deal, meet Jason Mraz, play three shows. Like she was like really intentional. I swear to God, this is a true story. It's been covered in the press before, but, um, Christine, and she's told it before 24 hours later, she calls me and she's like, yo, come look at my computer. She got a DM on her Facebook page from Jason Mraz's manager who was like, (laughs) I checked out your YouTube. I think you have some great songs. I'd love to meet within those four months. She had released her, this song called jar hearts, which ended up selling like crazy was number one. She got a huge record deal with Atlantic records. She flew to London to like write songs with Jason Mraz. She played like not only a show, but she played like stadiums. Like, I mean, it was the most incredible. And you're like lighting your letter to the universe on fire. You're like, right. And I'm like, have my bangs grown? Like, I don't think they have like, this is (laughs) bullshit. So every year since we've actually gotten together, maybe not physically because she's in New York now, but, um, and we write our letters to the universe. And so I remember when I was a baby reporter, I was like, I want to get a job on ET. I was like, I want to be on entertainment tonight. And then I was like, I want to be, I want to host three specials. I want to like every year I'm like super, um, specific now in what I ask for. It's not like, I just want a job on TV. I was like, what show, what channel, what date, what time? Um, you know, what exactly do you want? I manifested our lady gang book deal two years ago. I said, get a lady gang book deal. I didn't say publish the book, be a bestseller. I was like, just get the book deal. That's all I wanted. And we got it that year. And then this year, of course, I'm manifesting to become a bestseller, but, um, but it's like, I'm super, super specific. I printed out, I have the list three places in my home. So I see it every day. Um, but yeah, I really do believe in that, that power of intention. And I picture myself there. I'm like, I'm picturing myself opening up the newspaper, seeing the bestseller list and like seeing my name on it and celebrating with a morning mimosa. Like I see it. And but that's well, and you're feeling it though. That's really the key, right? Because it's not an intellectual endeavor. It is a feeling thing. And so I love that you put that extra component. You don't just write a list and walk away. You have to feel and be in the belief that it's already happened. And that's what you were doing. You were imagining like that moment that you find out you're best out. You're you're in that space of it. Like how, that's so important of a component, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think it's like. um it's interesting, Becca, who's one of the other co-hosts of Lady Gang, we have a very different opinion on this because she auditions, she's an actress, she was on B, she auditions like five times a week, right? So like every day she goes out for some job. And I don't have to audition that much because I'm very rarely changing jobs at this point. But I'm always like, Becca, when you go out for this job, are you like picturing yourself standing on the set? Like reading the lines next to Liam Hemsworth, like being that person? She's like, I can't because I'll get too heartbroken. Cause if I picture myself in it every single day, like five days a week, like it's too much rejection. And at some point, like it will just break my heart. And I'm like, no, you've got to picture yourself. Like, yeah. Um, so we always fight about it. I'm like, you can't get, it won't, you won't, you'll get. So she'll be like, Oh, I manifest like crushing it in the room. That's what I manifest. And I'm like, I know, but then you always crush it in the room. She always crushes in the room. And the people will be like, she was phenomenal, but like some famous kids can get it. <laughs> right. um, like, you know, because, like, because the other person was like, spawn. hey, why not me? That was the other person who got yeah. it. It's like, There's hey. always like some spawn of some other celebrity that gets the gig. But um, but I think it's really funny because I'm like, I think you should picture it because I believe that component is very important. 
Yeah, no, it's really interesting. What are some of the uh, highlights in your career that like were those moments of, again, like now you have new goals, you want to open up the newspaper and see that NYT bestseller. But other than that, like the moments previously for either manifestations or just like lovely experiences, what are some highlights to you that stand out over your time as a host and working in television? That's such a good question. Um, I've never thought about it, but I, I guess for me, um, the first I've, I've hosted the um, Thanksgiving Day Parade on CBS now for six years. Um, and the first time I hosted it, it's huge. I, I don't believe they asked me because it's like, first of all, I'm Canadian, so it's not even my Thanksgiving. So I don't know why I care so much. But um, <laughs> uh, we were in New York and I have my outfit and they're like, you're going to host the parade. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Pillsbury like balloon is coming. You're all live on television for four hours. My throat closed when they, where they were counting down. They're like five, four, three, my throat closed. I was like, I'm not going to make it. Um, and I just remember in that moment feeling so alive. I love live television. It's my favorite. Um, it's very dangerous because if you say the wrong thing, it's just like for the whole world, no editing. But, um, I think that, I think that that's the time where I was like, I'm it. I'm so proud that people are with their families. They're getting up in the morning the way I used to get up to watch this parade. Um, and they're with their family and I'm, I'm being, I'm a part of their holiday season. Like so special. Um, so I've always, I've always really loved that. And then for me, my husband's in the music business. And so anytime there's anything to do with the Grammys, um, because I'll get dressed up and I'm there and I'm working and then I'll see him come along with one of his clients and, just feels like this really kismet, like where everything is where it's supposed to be. And, um, I'm always really, really proud. We do a Grammy special on CBS for the red carpet before the Grammys start. And it's my favorite thing to host during the year. Cause I just feel like it's just the coolest. And like Ariana Grande this year at the Grammy, she doesn't do press any anymore. Like she's pretty shy. She's had a lot of stuff going on in her life. And um, she's, you know, she'll do maybe a magazine cover or a Vogue or something, but she's not doing the red carpet proper. And she came down and I saw her walk away and I was like, oh, we're not getting her like too bad. She had gone in the back, changed her dress and then come back for me and waited she wouldn't let me interview her. Um, there were a couple people before her and I was like, well, let's bring Ari in and then we'll have these people wait. She's like, Oh no, 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 I'll wait. Like she wasn't, she refused to be a diva and like snuggle her way in. And, um, it was really, really cool. Um, Tyler, the creator was before her and I was like, Oh, let's take Ari before, you know, Tyler. And, and she was like, no, no, I'll, I'll wait for Tyler. It was so cool. And she came right up. She was like, I had to change my dress for you. Like it was just so special. And I felt like you know, I'd been interviewing this girl since she was 15 on the Nickelodeon red carpets when she was just like the chick from Sam and Cat. So now that she's like an international pop star, the fact that she sort of remembered me and, and came back to say hi um, when she doesn't normally do press, it was, it was it really meant a lot to me. Well, and that's really a lovely, interesting experience because you are and have or will watch people grow up in this industry because you're going to have the regular yearly or, you know, more than once a year contact with them at these events. So, yeah. yeah so just that, that idea that you've sort of seen her grow up um, in the industry as well, you know, it's, it's fascinating and really, well, really, really cool what you get to do and live your best life. Speaking of just career, regardless of what career uh, women out there are listening or anyone in general, what's your, what, what are some general tenets of career? Like for me, if I were going to give someone career advice, I'd be like, be fucking early or on time, but like early, don't ever not show mm-hmm. up when you say you're going to show up, be that person. <clears throat> what kind of tips and trips or like things you learn over the years that you're like, yeah, no, these are some things you need to think about to be successful. 
Yeah, that's such a good question. Because there's a um, lot of liability. I just want there's a lot of yeah. liability with what you do. Things are on the line. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of right. like, things are live. There's high stakes, right? Sure. And not everyone maybe have those high stakes, but still, if you want to be playing in a high stakes game in any kind of capacity, yeah. right? Yeah. I think the secret, and and I I believe it's very difficult for women, is to figure out how to pitch yourself um, in a two minute conversation. So men, and I don't mean to be sexist here, but I think men in general are better salesmen, um, with themselves or what they're trying to sell. And women, we feel this, or what I've seen is we feel this overwhelming need to be very humble and that we have this mindset where if we're doing great things and we are great, people will just notice. It's like the way you want your husband to just notice the dishwasher's full and empty it. Like, but (laughs) you know, like they don't just notice, like people don't just notice that you have to actually tell them why you're great, why you're the person they need. Um, and I think there's a lot of fear. People feel weird about doing that because you don't want to come off like you're, you're stuck up and you really think you're the shit and whatever. Um, but I've learned to be able to, you know, if you and I met at a dinner party and you said, Oh, I have this podcast and they think you'd be great. How can I tell you what I do in two minutes to make you impressed and to give you the sort of highlight reel of maybe how we could collaborate, like why we're great. Oh, well, I have, you know, this many downloads of this and this is what I've made and it would be great to work together or something like that. Um, and it's okay to be that person. Sometimes it feels icky to be so self, you know, promotional. Um, but how do you do that? Whereas, you know, our girls that are working in offices often, often, often in our Facebook group will be like, I can't believe it. Like I've worked there for five years and I've never gotten a raise and I've never, or they passed me over for this thing. And I really do believe you have to go in and ask for the things that you want. Case in point, we have, um, a director of lady gang, um, this woman, Alex, who was a producer on daytime TV and wanted to make a change. And she, I knew her through a mutual friend and she pounded me for like six months. Please take lunch with me. Please take lunch. Well, I don't take lunch with anyone. I don't have time to take lunch, but you can come to my office if you bring me a coffee and I'll sit with you for 10 minutes. That's literally how I have to do these meetings. So she was after six months, she's like, all right, cool. So she came with the coffee, sat down and we talked for like 10 minutes and I was like, cool. Like, you know, she's like, I really want to work for lady gang. Like, I think this is what I could do. And I was like, yeah, well, we're not, we're not really hiring, but like, great. I'll keep you in mind, like with no intention to keep her in mind. The next day she sent me an email and said, Hey, Kelsey, so great meeting you yesterday. You really need me. That was it. That's all she wrote. You need me. And I was like, I do need her. God, I need her. And we hired her on the spot. That's been the best thing that ever happened to the brand. So I think sometimes having the courage to be like, you know what? I'm awesome. And these are the reasons. And here it is can be really kind of life-changing. Uh, you're really speaking my language because in my book, Confident as Fuck, I argue for that. Listen, no one's going to come to your house and buy your paintings, uh, even yeah. if you're an amazing artist. And sure. and, and, and the, the humility thing, it's just, it's just like, well, I'd be humble. And there might be some people who, through the religions, feel like, well, it's ungodly to sort of like self-promote and you have to just... But that is just staying so small. There's a difference between cocky and braggart and being confident as fuck and just moving forward with that. You, I mean, listen, the only reason uh, the reason I'm interviewing you, I had to pitch to your people. I mean, it's the same. Like, right, I had sure. to have a two-minute uh, email pitch for that. Right. Like, it's like, why Why is this worth this person's time? Why are you worth whoever you're trying to do's time? And like, you know, the people that have it together and it can be the most clear and concise on that, I think, um, might even go farther than the people who are necessarily maybe even more talented. 
No, uh, but it's totally the case because I used to hire people back in the day and I would rather hire a confident person than I would someone who actually had the skills uh-huh. because there is something about that proactivity, the confidence in one's ability to learn a thing if they don't know it. And right. you know that they're going to just keep reaching higher. There's just something about that personality type, of course. Um, and you have it. I have it. It's obvious. But for the people that don't, I mean, I love that you're taught that you, you mentioned that this is like I asked you like, hey, in business, what's your one thing? Yes. Get your two minute thing down, get it down, get out there. You, you, you go after it. You know what I mean? Every time I've done that, and I'm sure the same for you, most, mm-hmm. almost 99% of the time, it's a never hurts to ask. Yeah, it happened. They said yes. Right. And I've learned it a lot in business with Lady Gang as well, because now that we work with, you know, these big brands like Budweiser and Disney, and we have these calls with these people, they're so busy they, I could send them a 15 page PDF about all of our statistics, but what they really want is when we get on the phone and I'm like, Hey, this is why you should advertise on my podcast. I need to be able to tell them in, in, in two minutes who our girl is, who our listener is, why they are going to take their kids to Disneyland next year. If it ever opens again, my God. Um, but you know, it's like that ability I think is, is, it's actually kind of difficult Um, so I like to practice things in the shower or like in the car on the way to meetings and stuff. Like how, what am I going to say? Cause you can't be the same for everyone, but like, how do I basically get what I'm trying to say across? And I really noticed it when I was hiring, um, my new assistant this past year, I'd been through a couple that had just been fine. And, um, and I, I really wanted to do the full interview process, even though I really didn't have time for that in my life. But I was like, all right, let me find the 50 people and then knock them down to 20 and then get my 10 and then meet those 10 in person and blah, blah. So I ended up having a day um, where I met my 10 finalists uh, for this job in person. And I really, they were all overqualified. They were all amazing. They were all stylish and cute and perfect. And like, it was going to be amazing. But like the, the women that could sit down and be like, here's why I'm great. Here's my strengths. Here's what I need to learn still. Goodbye. Like those were the people that really stuck out to me. And so having that exactly that confidence or that ability to speak about your talents, um, is, is really important. So act like a lady, amazing book and the podcast (laughs) and you're doing ET where, where, Tell us, I mean, we'll put everything in the show notes, but tell us how we Thanks. can connect with you, where we could see you. And do you have anything? I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we're coming out of weirdness of yeah. isolation and things are different here, but are there things that we're planning in the future that you're still looking forward to that you can tell us about, or just, you know, give yeah. us a. Sure. Um, we'll act like ladies on sale now. Um, every, every, um, book counts. So, um, we're trying to ask people to support their local bookstores right now, because, you know, those are the bookstores that make towns so special and they might not make it through this pandemic. So, um, you can order on, uh, if you go to our website, theladygang.com, there's everything you possibly want. Cute merch, um, some charity stuff you can give back. You can drop us a lady secret. You can sign up for our email. Um, and then you can buy the book there. And I'm just at Kelty on TikTok and Instagram. And that's where I do most of my posting. And then the Lady Game podcast comes out wherever you get your podcasts on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Or do you have a regular schedule when things get back to normal for ET or a television yeah, stuff? We're or? actually shooting ET from home right now, which is wild. Um, so I shoot, I'm like everything, wardrobe, hair, makeup. I'm doing the technology. I'm doing the sound. Like it's wild. Um, and I'm not a super tech savvy person, but um, I'm hoping that we can be back in September on our beautiful set, um, at the CBS studios, because it's entertainment tonight's 40th season. It's a really big milestone for everyone that's worked on the show. And I miss 
all my friends. And so, um, but right now we're kind of stuck at home still. I mean, I'm zooming like crazy with all the celebrities. Like we're zooming all, I'm zooming all over the world, but, um, it's not quite the same as being on a glamorous red carpet. So I'm looking forward to us getting back out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing your work in the future. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered because our no dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the Primal Path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.